to the Easy Peasy Podcast, where we discuss living better through permaculture, mindfulness, decentralization, freedom, flow, agorism, anarchy, and more. We'll discuss how to solve life's complex problems with simple solutions. This is Mike the Polymath coming from the Easy Peasy Workshop in Indianapolis, Indiana, the crossroads of America. Thanks for joining. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to episode, I don't know, 202? Maybe 203. I'm not totally sure. But welcome to the Easy Peasy Podcast. I'm going back in time here. I'm doing an old-fashioned kind of episode where I just riff. Because I have something to say, and it might take a minute to say it, but I think it's something worth saying. So I, I was listening to Cat Williams talk to Joe Rogan, and they're saying a whole lot of stuff. And I can't help but think they might be on to something. Um, but are are they saying it right? Are they getting it right? Whatever, whatever it is. You know, as the the great <laughs> as the great Bill Clinton said, it depends on what your definition of is. Is I'm saying it depends on your definition of what it is, which I think is a is a better question. You know, is what it is, but what is it? Our language, you know, everything, everything. You start to wonder, you know, why is it? That I think what I think. Why is it that I say what I say? It's a good question. I, guys, you know, I'm sorry. I'm 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 at a loss for words because with an introduction like that, I don't quite know how to follow it up. But I'll say this. You might want to listen to that Joe Rogan, Cat Williams conversation. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what to think of it or what they said. I'm only going to tell you what it made me think of. Because at one point, Cat Williams talks about like an early 
childhood memory or like a moment, I should say, from childhood when he started to understand. When it all started to make sense, despite what everyone had told him. Or I suppose, despite what they hadn't told him. You know, I it made me think. And it's, it's, it's a memory that I think about actually fairly often. And it's not like it was one of my early, early childhood memories, but maybe like nine, ten years old. When I was still a kid, right? Not yet a teenager, not yet concerned about all kinds of things that I really didn't need to be concerned with. But when I was still just a kid and I was curious. And I remember it was a it was a summer kind of day, you know, warm but not too warm. You know, it might have been spring. Probably probably was, now that I say that. Because the grass was green, but it was short and kind of thin. And I remember one afternoon. I took the hose. I was just doing whatever whatever felt right. You know, I was just a kid. And I I take the hose. And I was just fucking around, right? Spraying stuff and watching the water initially. But I I decided we had this driveway, right? And the end of the driveway butted up to, you know, our backyard. And our backyard was sloped down towards a pond. You know, I I consider myself very lucky that I got to live right next to a pond. Because I got to fish, I got to learn about how ponds kind of work. And edge, the edge between the water and the land. It's no small thing, okay? And we'd we'd fish for bluegill and smallmouth bass, and occasionally we'd catch a catfish, but we never ate any of them. You know, because the uh, the whole neighborhood was on Roundup and Miracle Grow, right? So we didn't fuck with them, we didn't eat them, but we fished. And we, we had little, you know, kayaks, you know, it depended on the, na- you know, like everybody on the pond had a different boat, right? We had a paddle boat. Some folks had kayaks, but we'd go and we'd just paddle around the lake on a nice afternoon, evening, just make laps. It wasn't big, but it had little coves, it had inlets, and, uh, that lake, that lake provided a lot of opportunity to, to learn about ecology. You know, we had muskrats. We had uh, plenty of waterfowl, ducks, even a couple of swans for a couple of years. You know, they must have escaped from somewhere, but they, they were there for a while. You know, geese, cranes... You know, even though it was chock full of fucking miracle grow, this little pond had 
an ecosystem, right, that I could observe as a young man, young chi- you know, a child growing into a man. I learned the rhythms of this pond. And on top of that, I started to, as I got you know older and bigger, I started to mow our grass, you know, mulch the landscape, trim the trees, right? You know, at no point do I think my father thought I would become a gardener for a living, but part of why I did was because of where we grew up, and we had a very beautiful landscape. I will say, it was top-notch. And I was the one to maintain it, you know, as I became a teenager. But the memory that sticks out in my mind was fucking around with the hose that, you know, spring afternoon. The sun was warm so I could just lay down on the grass and let the sun kind of beat down and keep me hot, but just the right amount of hot after a long winter, right? But I was, I, I eventually kind of, like I said, I laid down and I had the hose and I had turned the faucet down, right? I had just turned it on to a trickle, maybe, you know, half flow. And I let it soak into this, this little gully between the uh, the driveway and the lawn. You know, it was relatively flat. My dad always would string trim that edge between, you know, concrete and grass. And there was a gap. And I just set the hose in the gap, kind of at the high point. Even though it was right along a flat surface, there was a slope to either side once you hit the, the soil, right? So the water starts to, to build up and flow both ways along the driveway. And I watch it, and I watch it kind of spilling into the neighbor's yard and spilling into the mulch bed on either side of the driveway. But I keep watching it, and I keep letting it flow, and I start to see little little streams start to percolate through the grass at the high point. I hope y'all are following me. I know I'm, I'm kind of trying to describe what I saw and words are limited, but you can imagine waters flowing both directions across a trench from the highest point, but at the highest point, I see it percolate over and through and along the blades of grass where the roots start to meet the soil. And I, I watch these little trickles, these little streams and they're going every which way and they're splitting apart and they're getting absorbed into the freshly, you know, thawed out soil which is porous and full of, uh, oh, what's the word? It's friable. It's got good tilth because it's a well-curated kind of soil. 
even a even a green lawn in suburbia if you really look at it the soil as long as you don't have to spray it all the time with with fertilizer the soil is probably pretty tilthy pretty good you know this the grass itself creates the structure creates the channels the pores it breaks apart the earth and we <laughs> we choose to mow it instead of graze it which is a whole nother topic but i'm telling you i you know i watched how the water trickled across and infiltrated into the soil right and the soil would would reach a point of saturation every so often and the and the stream would build back up and flow a little further downhill and saturate that soil and i probably watched this happening for i don't know 3 5 hours that's what it feels like maybe it was only one but i watched these little rivulets follow the high point of the of the slope of the little little downhill nose of our of our backyard and how it would run off hill both ways but there was still this kind of this this rivulet of water that followed the high point which i found captivating you know it water water goes the easiest way but sometimes it finds the longest and slowest easy way. It's a hard thing, hard thing to you know to describe what I saw, but I I saw it, and I understood that water wants to find the easy way out, but that that the long, slow, easy way is the best way. <laughs> I don't know. I suppose best is relative. The water, the you know, it eventually found its way either into the soil or into the pond. And it took all afternoon for that first drop of water to reach the pond. But as far as I could tell, it was the drop of water that took the slowest slope not the quickest. Again, I hope this translates, but it took all day for that water to soak through the entire lawn. And I learned, I learned something. I learned about the power of a swale, even though it wasn't quite a swale, but the, the, the trench at the top of the driveway, at the top of the hill, how it dispersed the water side to side. And it allowed it to kind of fill up to a point of saturation and then start pouring over the highest point. You know, I learned how water behaves with topography. And there's a reason if you go into the woods um, where there's any kind of, you know, slopes and creeks and, you know, ravines, you can... If you want to, the smart thing to do is to hike down the slope the long way. 
you know, you don't want to dive right into a ravine that's full of fallen over trees and big rocks that you got to walk over. No, you follow the nose. You follow that, that slope all the way to where it gently meets the creek, the river, what have you. You know, you look at you look at a topographic map and you think it's just a bunch of lines, but what those lines are, they represent level at various altitudes, right? So you see this map and it's got all these squiggly lines, but it represents, you know, hills and valleys, ravines, mountains. And if you learn how to read it, you understand that what that level line is, is what the shoreline would be if you could fill it up with water to any given point, right? And these lines are spaced by certain, you know, five feet, 10 feet altitude measurements, right? So, you know, there's places where we've created lakes and with a fair amount of certainty you can predict the shoreline of the lake after you've built the dam and if you've done your surveying correctly you can predict that shoreline you can predict everything that will be flooded by that dam now there's kind of a funny tale of a of a town in southern Indiana where the whole town was told you gotta move because we've built this dam and we're about to flood this this river and we're gonna create this this massive lake you know the biggest lake inside of the state of Indiana you know we butt right up to Lake Michigan which is much, much bigger, but the biggest lake inside of Indiana is Lake Monroe. And there was this small town. Well, there were a few. Um, there was Payne Town. There was, goddamn. See, I'm I'm blanking on the one I'm even even referring to, but it got told you've got to move. The lake's gonna come up so high. All your houses, your your cemetery, it's all going to be swallowed up. So they did. They packed up, they moved, they exhumed all the, all the graves and reburied them. But it turned out that the surveyor was mistaken. And the town never got flooded. <laughs> but it, it became a ghost town because nobody moved you know it by that point it was owned by the government even though the houses w were still there they couldn't move back and it was because of a bad survey job somebody who didn't quite get it right somebody who maybe didn't quite understand how water behaves now that's that's probably not fair they probably did understand how water behaves. They probably didn't calibrate their equipment perfectly. And the line that they drew, that they marked, 
was a little higher than it should have been, and a whole town got wiped out. I don't know. I'm not sure I'm telling you much, but what I'm saying is it's kind of interesting to think about these these memories, especially as kids, the ones that crafted our understanding of our of our world, right? And for me it was it was certainly a fascination with how the elements kind of behave in front of me as I tamper with them, as I change them. And that's what's so interesting about being a gardener. Planting, tending, you know, amending the soil. Perhaps, you know, introducing new species, new new insects trying to trying to design an ecosystem where you're humbled as you observe how much of it is beyond your control but this is why the idea of the swale which i think i mentioned already is so interesting because in permaculture we're taught <clears throat> the importance of water, right? And the importance of how it flows across a system, across a, a property. And we are you know, we are taught to, to incorporate this concept of swales in order to slow the water. And a, you know, a swale is nothing more than a than a contour line from the topographic map translated literally and physically onto the landscape. So you have this, this hill that slopes off on all sides. Imagine if you, if you will, a perfectly conical hill and when it rains, the, the water comes down on top of it and it runs off perfectly in all directions. Now, this would never happen in the, the real world. But imagine, if you will, that that's what's happening. A perfectly conical hill, a mountain that is smooth. It's nothing more than a peak sloping down, you know, a pyramid, but not a pyramid right? A cone. If you wanted to slow down the water that is falling on that land for the sake of reducing erosion, encouraging what, what's called infiltration, you know, water soaking into the soil so that the plants can utilize it and so that it, like I said, doesn't erode the soil. Right? It's all about preserving the soil and building the soil. So if you have this cone-shaped hill, you would, you would create swales that would be perfect concentric circles every so many feet of elevation. 
so that when the water running downhill hits that that trench, like I was describing at the end of my driveway, a swale is a level trench. And the water running downhill hits the trench and stops and fills up the trench and eventually overflows. But what it does is it slows the water and it spreads the water out and it gives the soil time to soak it up before it runs away. This is why we have rice paddies, you know, terraced in the Southeast Asian countries. It's why, you know, olive orchards in the Mediterranean are terraced, terracing swales, slowing and spreading out the water. Like I, like I intuitively learned as like, you know, I was probably even younger than what I said. I bet I was seven, maybe, maybe eight years old watching that trickle of water from the hose spread across the entire lawn. So, you know, I'm just saying this to say like, what, what formative memories do you have that created your understanding of the world, of the cosmos, of the, the plane we exist on? It might be different from mine, and therefore you might understand something else. But it, it makes me consider the idea that what really, you know, what really do we understand beyond land and water and fire and air and the great beyond, right? We learn from what we're told, from the stories. And I think, I think I'll just, you know, I'll say we're, we're all just barely putting back together a collective understanding that we lost somewhere along the way. We used to understand this stuff a whole lot better than we do now. Knowledge has been lost more than it has been gained. That, that I'm fairly certain of. All right, so that's about all I have to say. Um, I will say, though, if you're enjoying this podcast, and if you would like more of this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you threw us a little something. By us, I mean me and Doc. My, my co-pilot who never makes a sound as long as I'm talking. But he's my pup and it's just us. And we could use a little help getting that, getting that, you know, cheddar. Because we got bills to pay and a couple of mouths to feed. But if you enjoy the Easy Peasy podcast and you would like to support, please go to Easy Peasy dot itty bitty dot tips and hit the donate button 
Thanks for listening. Thank you.